Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Good morning. We've got a new view for those of you with us online. Hey, front row view, front row seat just for you. Thanks for being here today with us online or in person. We are all just trying to stay safe and healthy, right, guys? Would you like some good news? Would you like to hear about some good news? Yes? Anyone? Well, all right. Let's, let me tell you about a guy, sixth grader, 11-year-old named Davon Johnson. He had an amazing day on December 9th, 2021. I read about his story right before Christmas, and he just came to mind this week, and I'll, I'll tell you about why here in a minute. Now, Davion saved two lives in one day, and everybody was like, you're a hero, and his story started spreading, and he started to get all these accolades in his hometown of Muskogee, Oklahoma, but he was like, you don't, just don't call me a hero, like, I just, I just kind of, I did the right thing, like, I knew what to do. First, Davon was at school, and he's walking by a water fountain, and he hears this kid, he doesn't know him, a seventh grader, who's kind of like, he felt like he was choking, and he said, I kind of heard the kid say, like, I'm choking. He couldn't breathe. So he says this, I sprung into action, pressed on his stomach and lodged it out of his throat. Davon said he had gone on YouTube and learned the Heimlich maneuver. His uncle, Wendell, is an EMT. And so for years, Davon is like, that's what I want to do. I want to save people. I want to rescue people just like my uncle. And so he just taught himself and he said, everybody should learn how to do the Heimlich. Well, he goes home from school. He's telling his mom about it. They're in the car to head to church that night. They're driving by, and Davon's like, is that house on fire? And she's like, I don't know, smoke. Maybe they're grilling out back. And he's like, no, Mom, I think it's a fire. And so she stops the car. She's parked on the other side of the road, and Latoya calls 911, And Davon's looking and he sees people are coming out of the house, except there's an older lady on the porch with a walker who's not moving as fast as everyone else. And he says, she wasn't moving fast enough, so I needed to get her to the truck. So he ran up onto the porch and helped her down into a truck away from the house that was on fire. And his mom said, you saved two people today. And he's just kind of like, he just shrugs. He's like, I I just was being a good citizen. He was really downplaying it. But Davon was given an accommodation by his principal, by the Muskegee Sheriff, police, Board of Education, and the mayor. He has now a key to the city. Because they were like, this is the kind of citizen we all need. Now, we're on our journey of the redeemed. And we're going to come back to Davon's story and why it connects today here in a minute. We're talking about strengthen the feeble, steady the knees. Because Jesus, every time he's reaching out to people physically, he's also challenging them 
spiritually. We talked last week that we're people made of, of the physical and the mental and the spiritual. And we see it coming together again this week. We're going to be at the end of Luke 8 and the beginning of Luke 9. We're going to have the verses on the screen as we read scripture today. We're going to have three C's. And you know, I don't normally do this, but I got three C words for our day. We've got comparison, compassion, and commission. So let me begin. Let's begin in Luke 8 verses 40 through 44. We're going to have Mikey on the mic and he's going to be reading from the New International Version. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately... Her bleeding stopped. That this first section, this comparison, I want us to just compare these perspectives. I want us to look and think just as sometimes you kind of read scripture and you're like, it's getting from point A to point B or the story sound familiar, but let's stop. Because I, I'm reading this this week and thinking about from a parent, from a female, and I just want to relook and just Dig into these perspectives for a minute. There's a lot of pain here. Jairus, Jairus, I'm going to say it strangely every time. He's a dad in deep despair. His daughter is dying. And I don't even want to imagine that. But to put ourselves in his, in his shoes. I mean, it's, it's horrible when kids get sick, right? When they're, they're helpless and they're crying in pain and you can't always explain what's going on to them and your heart just breaks because there's nothing you can do about it. But if we've all seen, we've known of kids who pass before, before their time, they're too young, they haven't lived life and there's an ache there. And I know that we've all glimpsed this fear in the past couple of years we have our Echo Kids in our service today because we're trying to keep everybody safe. We don't have enough healthy people to teach right now. And so we're trying to just do everything we can to protect these vulnerable lives. And this dad, he, he doesn't know what else to do. In that time, with the medical care available, if you're dying, it normally ends in death. There's not a lot that was stopping that. And so he's going to Jesus, and Jesus reacts. It says that Jesus... He's going to start heading to the house with Jairus. And someone stops him. He gets interrupted. And can you imagine in a moment that bit of stomach drop? Like Jairus is like, you're coming, okay? And then he got stopped. Well, now let's look at the woman who stopped Jesus. Because I don't think it was her. It was not. I don't see in her point to be like, I need to stop and interrupt him. He's going to do something amazing. He's going to go help this family. But she just. There's a desperation that she just kind of reaches out and just touches Jesus. And maybe she, she didn't even expect anything to happen when she did. Maybe she wanted to get his attention. Maybe she wanted to just draw close. I wonder what it felt like in her body. But she had been sick for 12 years. And I'm not going to get too graphic, but I do want to say that based on this information and based on the wording that we have, this isn't like a, like a wound that has been bleeding. It's like 
she's had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And I just have to say, that would be annoying. <laughs> Ladies, yes, that would be annoying. Much less in a time I would be annoyed now, and I have lots of amazing resources at hand. I do not know what she experienced on a daily basis and what materials she had to use, but for 12 years. But there's not just the physical, right? There is a spiritual stigma that's hovering because there is a a Jewish law that was saying, here's what is clean and here's what is unclean. And we can read in the book of Leviticus that kind of details everything out. And she was considered unclean. Well, that may, maybe that didn't affect her on a daily basis of like going to the temple. She's not, she's maybe not headed to the temple in Jerusalem every day. So maybe that doesn't hinder her plans. But just to have that label, like that, it just doesn't feel good, does it? To just be labeled. And like people are kind of like, eh, we're looking at you because you're, you're unclean. And then I also think about her personal relationships. Was she married? Got some issues there. Got some, got some hindrances there. Was, was she wanting to have kids? She can't right now. For 12 years, she can't. There's a lot of grief there, grief upon grief, the separation from not just mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. That is the desperation that I see. Now let's watch Jesus's response. Mikey, if you would read Luke 8 verses 45 through 56. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing. Jesus said, she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. It just kind of hit me that it says they laughed at him. <laughs> that was kind of... That's harsh. Um, that, just, that just struck me as we read it there. The second word we have for today is compassion. And we can see that. Jesus responds with compassion. He draws close to people. He is willing to be interrupted in his plans for the woman. And he's willing to go and, and help this family and their friends who are outside mourning and grieving. Now, notice that the woman tries to keep her identity a secret. And then later, Jesus orders the parents, like, don't, don't go spreading this around. Like, he's kind of keeping things close. And I always wonder that, and I'm sure there's lots of motivations, and we can all speculate. 
I do like one commentator I read this week who said, you know, he's just, he's not making it about himself and his fame. Like, he's just kind of keeping it to his action of compassion right there. He just, he just did the thing. And he doesn't need them to go, to go tell about it for his sake. Now, you can also see in these words, look at these two phrases. To the woman, he said, your faith has healed you. And then to Jairus, he said, believe, and your daughter will be healed. We talk about that when Jesus acts, when he does these works of miracle, when he reaches out, it says, the power of the Spirit, God's Spirit, there's this trinity we believe in of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and that Spirit's pretty mysterious, but we're seeing him in action. And right here, I just love that Jesus didn't even like consciously Think about healing the woman. It's like he had God's spirit. The woman had faith. And the spirit decided, going to heal her. I just, this fascinating. This, this mysterious God works even when Jesus was not like conscious of it. So there's another sign of compassion. Because we talked about the woman being unclean. Uh, there was also a thing where you weren't supposed to touch a dead body. That would also make you unclean. And especially a religious leader who is going and performing religious duties, they would probably keep themselves as pure as possible. That's definitely what we see when the Pharisees are interacting with Jesus, right? And the priests who serve at the temple, they had to go in the presence of God all the time. They're trying to protect themselves because they have a duty. They are being the representatives of people on earth to God in heaven. And Jesus, that's kind of his gig on earth. He's representing God and he's representing us and connecting us, right? So he's, he's serving in this role that's like a priest. And yet he doesn't hesitate. He touches a girl who is dead. He's okay that this woman who had a disease that would have made him unclean, he's fine that she touched him. She might have been embarrassed, but he's like, your faith has healed you. It didn't bother Jesus. Jesus draws close. He doesn't want people to feel alone, isolated. He doesn't want them to feel other. He's like, you're part of my family. I'll draw close. That's the leadership he models. So he's bringing in a new era to say, this is God's love. God's love, yes, we've had boundaries to be holy and set apart because I want you to know how important it is to look before a holy God. But he's like, God's love comes close and it heals and it's a part of the process. It doesn't put barriers up. So here we are. Jesus has touched and he's healed and it's a beautiful end to a story. But we're going to jump ahead in time and we're going to look in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Because we said that Jesus was healing with the Spirit's power, but he's not keeping that to himself. We think, yeah, that's pretty special. He's the Son of God. He's, that's why he's doing these things. But Jesus says, it's, it's God and me, and God can do that through you. So let's read Mikey Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, please. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This last word we have is commission. This is a big word that means like sending out with a purpose, like on purpose. One of our church values is commission because we believe all of us are, every time we read and we look at like how this applies to our lives, that we're sent out with purpose to live like Jesus in this world. So Jesus, he's, he's telling these 12 key people, he's been mentoring them. He wants them to be future leaders of the church. And he's trying to show them now that it's not about who you are. It's about who you're relying upon. And so he's like, you got it. You got the same power as me. You've, they had been watching Jesus. Who did he eat with? Anybody who gave him an, an invitation, right? Who did he say, I will claim and be connected with you? Everyone. And he's like, I will heal. I will spend time with. I will love. I will teach. Anyone. Anyone. And he looks at the 12 and is like, now it's your turn. You got this. They just had to be willing to go out. God was going to do the work through them. They were commissioned. And they were doing it. It says they were healing people. It says they were spreading the good news and teaching people. I did find this fascinating. All the list of things that Jesus says don't take. I'm like, guys, I have learned in life that if I don't have a snack with me at all times, I get hangry. I thought I used to carry it around when my daughter was a toddler, but no, it was for me, guys. I need a bag. I want, you know, extra funds. I got walking sticks for Christmas to go on a hike, and those are pretty cool. So I just read this whole list like, Jesus, what is up? Aren't you like a Boy Scout? Like, always be prepared here. Jesus wants the disciples to rely on other people. And get this. I think he also wants other people to have the opportunity to participate. So I don't, Jesus, we saw that he relied on other people. He's going into other people's houses to eat. Last week we read that he, he got resources from, from different women who were funding his ministry. It's not like he was a slacker. Like we, we see that for years he worked with his earthly father, Joseph. And he was doing work. But in this season, he was inviting other people. And so I think he's telling the disciples, like, you're going to have to be vulnerable and ask. And he's giving other people the opportunity to then provide. That's, that's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Maybe it doesn't even seem like an American value at times. I don't know. Self-reliance seems way more important to many people. But that's not what we're seeing here. We're saying we're supposed to team up. We are supposed to connect with one another, rely on one another, support one another. And we heard last week from Dorota going into the mission field. We have amazing friends like Mikey, who works for a mission organization here in the States. They have to ask, don't you? It's not comfortable. But you know what it gives us the opportunity to do? We get to participate in their ministry. And so... I think we're going to come to a point in life at some point, you're going to need to ask. And at some point, you're going to need to say yes to an ask. 
We're going to be challenged to do both. And I didn't want to skip that point here because I think that's an important reminder for us. Now let's circle back to our sixth grader, Davon, and why he was on my mind this week. Well, first of all, he saved two people. And Jesus, Jesus in this story saves two people. Second, he didn't want the attention on himself. He was just this, I was like listening to two different interviews. He's just like humble. He doesn't want anybody to make him a hero. He's just doing what he needed to do. Jesus was like, I'm just acting in compassion. You don't have to go shout about it. Davon was just a regular human raised by humans who did something awesome. Those 12, those 12 guys, those 12 disciples were just regular humans raised by humans. But God was using them to heal and to spread the news and to be filled with his power. You know, I, I liked reading about every role model Davon had. It seemed like he was involved in church, and I just feel like he just, he just knew the right thing to do. Sometimes we just know the right thing to do, and sometimes we're used by God in ways that we don't even notice. Even when I don't see him, he's working. I believe that we, regular humans, are being used by God and his spirit. We're promised that. Those 12 disciples, they were goofy. They were dumb. They were fishermen and tax collectors, and they were kind of like on the outskirts of their community at times. They're awkward. But Jesus gave them power to do the extraordinary. Jairus and the woman who went to Jesus, they were just just ordinary, but they knew who to go to in faith, who to rely on. Jesus said that same spirit that he gave freely to those 12 disciples, he says we get it too. John 14 says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Right right here. Like, that's, that's mysterious, and maybe it even seems, like, weird to talk about some visible force, right? But I believe we're told he's here. And there's a lot of invisible things I believe in that's powerful. I can't see love. I can't see fear, but I feel those on a daily basis. I can't see courage or doubt, but I feel those too. I believe that God says he's with us and he is. In Acts 2, this is how Peter described it. He told lots of people he believed this. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love this picture, because that, that act of repenting is like, it's like the woman, it's like Jairus, it's like clinging on to the hem of Jesus' robe and just saying, I can't do life, I can't do it, I need fixing and that baptism is like after, after someone came into contact with another person who was unclean. They were supposed to go and take this special ceremonial mikvah, this dip into the water, and then that was to represent they were clean again. 
And we do this thing called baptism. That if we want to follow Jesus, we get to be part of this beautiful ceremony where we just are down in the water and back up again and just to say, look, Jesus makes us clean and whole. And then we get this gift. We get a gift. And I can't tangibly see the Spirit, but I believe. And every time we read this these scripture, these ancient words, and we're like, what do these stories mean to us? We keep asking every week, how do we live? What does this mean? What can this change in our lives? And just say, let's rely upon God's extraordinary spirit. The two benefits are, one, um, there's, that's some cool power. <laughs> but I too believe that there's power. And, but number two is, it just feels like then we're not alone not alone we don't have to do life alone and we're we don't we don't have to now some moments maybe you have experienced a miracle you have prayed and god has responded and someone's been healed or something else where you had zero control and you could just you begged god and you saw an answer so you could probably say that was evidence of god's spirit moving in his power but there's times even when we don't feel him, he's working. Maybe you like have somebody on your mind and you text them and your friend's like, oh, I needed to hear from someone today. I think that's God's extraordinary spirit. Maybe you say the words, like somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, but somehow you have the words or the words you said meant something to them. I feel like that's God's spirit he, that can be him that can be evidence or you make a decision and you're like i don't know how to decide this huge thing but you look back years later and realize it was such a turning point in your life when you have the strength to say yes to waking up the next morning yes to walk away from a tempting situation when you have the strength to end a dangerous relationship or spend another day sober that's God's extraordinary spirit giving you strength. When you have that friend in your life, has your back. When you look into the innocence of an amazing, precious child looking back at you, I believe God's extraordinary spirit is at work through somebody else, reminding you you're not alone. Even when we don't see him, God's powerful, miraculous, mysterious spirit reminds us we're not alone. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for being here. You're here. We thank you for that. Thank you for caring with compassion even when it interrupted your day. Thank you for asking us to go out and to represent you in this world. And we don't have the strength on our own, but thank you for trusting us anyway with you in us. Thanks for trusting us. We hope to rely on you this week. Maybe lean on you, maybe lean on one another to know that we're not alone in this world.
Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.